I told you before Christmas and after that uh, often in my thinking, uh, when I learn something or am studying something, my question always is, now what? Okay, so I learned that, so what? Or so what? Or now what? And sort of this idea of the incarnation or Jesus uh, becoming flesh or coming to the earth to save humanity, uh, for me at least, uh, and it has been sort of sad, you have to kind of deal with what I'm dealing with. That's a scary thought. <laughs> that, that the idea of, so what? I mean, now what? Jesus has come in the flesh, and we're, you know, we sometimes live from Christmas to Easter, and that's about it. You know, and he's, we even say at Christmas sometimes, the one child that came to die. Well, that's not true. I mean, we, all of us that are born are going to die, <laughs> you know. So what is it about his life or his incarnation or his uh, ministry in life that matters? So now what? You know, what, what difference does it make? And so we've been looking at that and trying to sort of lean into maybe that there's more to it. There's more to understanding Jesus is coming than just his death, certainly includes that. And so we're going to look at this again from several vantage points. And I'm not going to go over this again, but I just want to remind you that we've looked at the text of the incarnation. This is all in your handout. You don't need to do that. The text of the incarnation, the truth of the incarnation. We've looked at that. We've looked here at the thrust of the incarnation. And that's so, in other words, what, what's the point? What's the, the reality of it here uh, with, with respect to the incarnation? of So, okay, so God became flesh. Jesus came. Is it, again, just limited uh, to some idea, if you will, of terms of him dying to forgive our sins. We've looked at this here, and we're going to continue. And this idea is deliverance from the domain of darkness. Deliverance from the domain of darkness. The Bible tells us in Colossians 1 that Jesus delivered us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light of his dear son. I read the other day, you know, that we talked about the darkness. It, it's hard to deal with at times in our world even. It feels like it's encroaching more and more and there's more darkness. And the kingdom of God or the rule or the governance of God has come that we might have light so that we could see. And I read this the other day, you know, that Chuck Norris, he sleeps with a nightlight. I don't know if you knew that or not. It's not because he's afraid of the dark, but the dark's afraid of him. <laughs> I said that for my mother's sake, who may listen to this. She thinks Chuck Norris is the greatest. <clears throat> that, that some people in this matter of darkness and light are trying to, to figure that out. And, and really, uh, in this matter of the domain of darkness, we, we discussed that to, to, to some extent. And coming into the light of the gospel, that the, the coming of Jesus, he brings the, the kingdom of light. We said last week, and we're not going to go over this long, but we said in this kingdom, we have enough light to see God correctly. In this kingdom of light, we have a chance to see God, to, if you will, to put away some of our uh, destructive notions or destructive ideas about God, or maybe those uh, accumulations of people that have told us things that aren't really true. And we see, as we said last week, we see the clearest picture of God in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, what it says, in many and various ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophet. That's many and various. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, who is the exact icon or image of the invisible God. So anything we know about God, we've got to put it through that grid and grist of Jesus. And so we see God more correctly. We, we, we discussed that and, and looked in some degree. I've got a couple other ideas I want to talk about, but I can't. I won't. Uh, just, um, I'm going to. <laughs> um, I, 
You know me, I back up, go up, back forth, go forward, go back. It's, I think Chuck Swindoll wrote the book about me, three steps forward and two steps backwards. <laughs> Um, I just, I, I thought of this, I, th- this is one notion about seeing God correctly, even though it's in the Old Testament, and Jesus is still that final gauge. I'd like for you just to look at this just for a second. Go, go to De- Deuteronomy, that's in the Old Testament. Go to your, uh, that's uh, just uh, about four or five books in. Go to the table of contents in my Bible, it's on page 168. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and I just want to draw your attention to something uh, I will tell you this, that it took me a long time, took me a long time before I believed this. And it really took me looking at Jesus and hearing him and understanding the nature of God as expressed to Jesus before I really believed this. And I was older than I want to admit. Uh, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses is reporting uh, what um, God said back uh, after Moses had been on the mountain. And he's saying this in verse 28, the Lord heard the voice of your words that you spoke. The Lord said to me, I've heard the voice of the words of the, you, these people. They've done well in all they've spoken. Now what? <laughs> That's our discussion. Okay. They've got the truth. They understand the truth. Now what? Watch this. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep my commandments always that it may be well with them. What, what, why, why does God want them to fear? And the word here means reverence have an appropriate understanding. Why does he want people to reverence and believe him and do, keep his commandments? Why? Yeah, that's right there. That's what the American Standard says, that it may be well with them. So what's God's motivation here? To push us around? To make us obedient servants? Or what? Our well-being. Okay, look, look over here at 33. 533, you shall walk in all the ways the Lord your God has commanded, that you may live and it may be well with you. Interesting? Verse, chapter 6, verse 3, O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it. Why? Why? That it may be well with you. No, notice that. 6.3, or Israel, you should listen and be careful that it may be... Here, here's the idea. When we see God correctly, accurately, the person of Jesus. I will tell you this in my own life and in my working with students. You cannot truly obey somebody you don't trust. You can, you can modify your behavior, but you can't really obey them because you don't trust them. And unless we see God that has our best interest at heart, it's going to be a challenge. Always. Why? Because we're not convinced that he wants us to do this, that it may be well with you. You know, I told you, I have a real uh, serious and developed theology over life, going to seminary and graduate school. I have a very developed understanding of this and the whole theology of Christian life. And it's this, don't touch the hot stove. (laughs) There you go. Thousands of dollars. (laughs) What, What is it? Don't touch the hot stove. Why? It won't go well with you, (laughs) right? I mean, that's the whole notion wrapped up together to say, don't touch the hot stove, Cliff. Why? Because I want it to go well with you. So I just, I want to dial in just for a minute that 
this whole notion of us following Jesus, of us believing in him and trusting him and obeying him, it, it really is a trust issue. And the trust issue is whether or not we believe he has our best interest at heart. Now, he says this three times in the Old Testament. More than that, but in this particular place. So that, so that the idea of we see God, do we see him like that? I can, I can take you back to the place when I was driving in my car while I was a professor here at Mid-America many, several years ago, a lot, of, a lot of years ago, when I finally had to come to the conclusion to say, either you have my best interest at heart and I can trust you or you don't. We got to settle this right now. We got to settle this. I can't keep playing around with this. I've got to believe one way or the other. Either you really don't have my best interest at heart, and if that's the case, I'm going to live accordingly. Or if you do have my best interest at heart, that I will trust you and then live. That's why I said last week, see, obedience is not an act of servitude. Remember this? It's an act of gratitude. Obedience is not an act of, well, I better do this or I'll go to hell. Obedience is not an act of servitude. It's an act of, of gratitude. Why? I'm, I'm believing and trusting that God has my best interest at heart. So do, you, do we see God like this? Do we see him as having our best interest at heart? If I had time, I'd tell you this too. This, this is going to be crazy, okay? Crazy talk here. What else is new, right? <laughs> if that's the case, okay, I wanna, I'll tell, we'll come back and talk about this some other year and uh, we get through this. I'd just like to drop this little thought in your mind that sin is not normal. There's not anything normal about it at all. It doesn't create health. It doesn't create life. It doesn't create creativity. It creates death. Now, it's frequent, but it's not normal. That's why it tears up everything it gets involved with. That's why it destroys everything it touches. That's why Jesus, or God said here, and Jesus says in other places, listen, do this, and it will go well with you. Do this, and it will go well. We, we've got to get our, like, I, I watch this, I'm not beating up on weathermen. Well, I don't know, I might be. <laughs> By the way, Doug, what did you say? Thank you for another beautiful day. This is the first beautiful day we've had in like a year. I'm not, monitor, I'm not monitoring your prayers. I'm just theologically trying to work them through. Like, did anybody else hear that? No, anyway. Um, uh, the weather people get this wrong all the time because they say the normal temperature for today, and it what? Never is. <laughs> right? You know why? It's not normal. It's average. Take 100 years or 110, whatever, and they put all those temperatures together and divide it by how many years? That's the average. See, we've got normal and average mixed up. I had a stress test years ago and my doctor, uh, I mean, I was giving him lots of stress. He wasn't getting a stress test. I was. I'm the guy that says, I'm not taking a shot. You're going to write me a prescription. So my doctor has a lot of stress, but at this time I was taking a stress test. I was having a stress test. And at one point, they stopped me, and they said, okay. And I said, what is it? He said, everything's normal. Now, that word has not been used to me a lot, but uh, <laughs> like Irma Bombeck said, it's a setting on the dryer. No. <laughs> what do you mean? Everything's working the way it's supposed to for a 35-year-old man, right? Years ago. 
a long time ago. Uh, see, sin's not normal. Things don't work right when it gets introduced. Things don't work well when it gets involved. So we've got to see God clearer. We've got to see Him. It's frequent. It's often. I see it all the time. You do too. I participated in it and still can because I have an ability to say God or not God. We've got, we got to see God a little more clearly. That He's saying to us, don't touch the hot stove. I'm not trying to make your life miserable. I'm trying for it to go well with you. Does that make sense? We got to get our minds cleaned up here to seeing God correctly. He's for us, not against us. He knows how life works. You know, I used to take my cars and, you know, I, I, I take my cars now to mechanics that know what they're doing. <laughs> right? I, I don't say, hey, I got a buddy down here. Nope, I don't want to see your buddy. <laughs> right? I want to take my car to guys who know what's going on because they know about the car. I'm going to take my life to God and say, you know about this life here, don't you? And I, and I need your, your direction. But it comes back to this again, this seeing God more clearly. Does he have our best interest at heart? Now, I know what your Sunday school answer is, and I know what my Sunday school answer is, and I know what I'm supposed to say, and I know what think, people think, but I'm talking about down here. Do I really believe that? I want you to do this, Cliff, that it may go well with you. I just find obedience much more likely. I'm not saying always easier, but much more likely when I see God this clearly that he wants this for my good, not his good. Okay, the second thing. I, I wasn't going to do that, but I did. So anyway, uh, here's a second. We see ourselves correctly. When we get delivered from the domain of darkness, that's what the scripture says, the domain of darkness, we get delivered into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light. We see ourselves more correctly. Um, and and I, we talked about that a little bit last week, but I want to tell you a little bit of a story about my dad. Um, this is where it all started with me. Uh, as I go further into the story, it will make a lot of sense. <laughs> My dad um, grew up in a little town called Ballinger, Texas. And uh, when we talk about he seeing himself correctly, my dad uh, grew up in a little dusty town. It's called Ballinger, Texas. It's uh, about uh, 30 miles out of San Angelo. You can stand knee-deep water and dust blowing your face. And uh, he grew up dirt poor. My dad dropped out of the eighth grade uh, for a lot of reasons, but one of them was he was driving a 90-mile-a-day truck route delivering milk so the family could eat. Uh, they lived up, they lived really poorly um, and um, he had to go to work. It was really a life of hardship. He would say, it wasn't completely true, but he'd say all the time we'd go back to Ballinger on our way to see family. Uh, he'd, we'd drive around and he'd say, I used to live in that. And I'd go, nobody could live in that. <laughs> we used to live here. And he said, we moved every time the rent was due. Um, it was just that kind of life. He said, no church wanted us. Nobody ever invited us to church. We didn't have good clothes. We were considered really the bottom of the barrel. And my dad endured a lot of ridicule and separation from people in his grown-up years. And when he got drafted, or was going to get drafted, he, he joined the Navy uh, during the Korean War. And when he did, uh, he said for the first time in his life, 
he felt a part of something. I, I remember he said this, son. He said, I, all of a sudden now, coming from Bounder, Texas, and being, being a Sanders, which was not a good thing, he said, I felt a part. He said, we had the same haircut. <laughs> Everybody. We wore the same clothes. <laughs> Everybody. He said, we ate the same chow. Everybody. For the first time, he said, I saw myself differently. That, that I was just like everybody. In fact, when the platoon, I, not the, I was never in the military. Some of you guys were, but what would they call the person that has charge over people? Petty officer? I don't know. One of those guys. Anyway, he had some guys. <clears throat> so, yeah. Uh, but they put him in charge of them. And he said, he, they put him in charge of them. And he said, uh, they said, Sanders, you're going to lead these guys. And my dad said to himself, I'm a Sanders. I can't lead. Why? He'd not seen himself correctly. He'd seen all the clothing and the poverty, and he, and he just said, I can't do that. I can't do that. So he gets in the, the, the Navy, and uh, you know, uh, all that starts going, and he, and he met a guy who said to my dad, Marvin, or they called him Sandy. He said, Sandy, why don't you teach me how to play the guitar? My dad could play the guitar and sing, and he did all that. He said, if you'll teach me that, I'll help you with the high school equivalency exam because I'm good in math and my dad wasn't. It's a Sanders trait. We don't know how to multiply letters. <laughs> I never did figure that out. Anybody with me on that? That's ridiculous. You can't multiply a letter. Dumb. So, so he said to my dad, he said to my dad, I'll help you with the GED. Now, this is quadrillene. This is the shore back here, and this is a little atoll. This didn't happen when my dad was there, but it happened before they, uh, they uh, exploded a, a hydrogen bomb. I think that's why we're the way we are a little bit. Uh, my dad was there for a while. <clears throat> it's a mile wide and a mile and a half long. And my dad says some guys just went nuts there. A couple guys jumped off the top of the barracks. Killed themselves. Couldn't stand it. So this guy said to my dad, Sandy, if you'll teach me to play the guitar, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll help you with the GED. And my dad said, I can't do that. I, I, I can't do that math. I can't do that. He said, well, come on, Sandy. You can. Anyway, this guy finally encouraged my dad to say, Marvin, you can do it. Or Sandy, you can do it. And I think about that guy. I wish I knew who he was. I could go hug his neck. Because my dad passed the GED. Came back after Korea and went to college, first person his family ever did, the only person his family who ever graduated from college. He earned a master's degree at Asbury Seminary in theology and was awarded an honorary doctorate. Why? Some guy saw him differently. Some Navy guy in the barracks or the, wherever they live and sleep. I, I'm real uptight on, up, up to date on the military, right? Some guy saw in my dad, Marvin, you could do this. I think about this guy again. I think I'd like to hug his neck because it changed the entire fabric of my family. My dad went to college. He encouraged me to go to college. He encouraged me to leave the house as soon as I could. <laughs> he said, you need to go to college. He told me at 18, he'd say, I need you to know something. I'm breaking your plate right now. Okay. He told me that. See again, see that? That's where it started right there. 
change it. So, so when we see ourself, our worth, we talked about last week, we're not going over. Number one, no matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done, you are created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 clear, says this, that when God said, they said the Trinity, let us create man in our image. And in the image, he created them, male and female. Your creation in the image of God means you have worth and value. And everywhere the gospel of Christ has gone, we don't just kick people to the curb. We don't just think it's bad karma. We don't just think you should die in the street like a dog. We believe that every human being possesses worth, not for what they do, but who they are. I want to ask you to think about this. We're in a culture, I think, and maybe it's been for a long time, but, but Aristotle and others, philosophers and Jesus and all coming up have said this. It's, it's being before doing. It's, it's, it's who you are before what you do. Dallas Willard always said, you should be more interested in who you're becoming, not what you're doing, because you're going to be that all of eternity. That put a shudder down my back when I heard that. No, Willard says, you should be seriously interested in who you're who, you're, who you are being and becoming, not what you're always doing. And so you're created. I'm created in the image of God. You know what? A lot of us have a, have a strange view. I, I was talking to Becky, our walking buddy yesterday. Um, I've got a picture in my wallet of my, uh, you know, uh, driver's license. And I don't know what they're doing, but, you know, you're looking like this and you're going like this. And they go, look up. What? <laughs> the stupidest pictures. I'm thinking... You could, you know, you could get into the CIA with another picture easier than this one. They're like, but you know what? We, we carry that picture with us and we don't like to show it very often. I don't. The one in mine, I'm like, who is that guy? You ever feel that way? You know what? There are a lot of us that carry a picture in our soul of ourselves. There are a lot of us who carry a picture of ourselves and our soul. I'm not this. I'm not that. If people really knew me, they wouldn't think I'm very much. If people were really around me often, they wouldn't like me. You see, we're created in the, our worth is foundational in that we are created in the image of God. Now, I'm, I've been talking about Genesis 3. Now, I want you to get in your Bibles or turn in your Bibles. Can't get in them. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 8. 1070 in my Bible, this worth thing. We've talked about this, but I just, again, I, I need to be reminded of this. So do you. This worth thing, what is it? Uh, in verse uh, chapter 8 of Romans, these words start at verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Now, you ought to underline that word again. What, what is Paul saying here? You've not received the spirit of slavery to fear again. You must have come out of fear. So he's saying you don't have to go back into it uh, what? again. But you've received the spirit of adoption whereby sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. 
And if children, heirs and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. What is our worth? Our worth is that we are sons and daughters, not slaves. Now, Paul uses a term occasionally. He said, I'm a servant or a slave of the Lord Jesus. But that word there is often considered to be the word in the Old Testament that whenever a slave, you can find this in Leviticus, when a slave had been released because of the seven years of Jubilee, which they were supposed to practice every seven years or every 50 years, and then after every seven years, slaves were let go, that a slave would be released and could make the choice to stay. And what would happen is they would take that slave over to the doorpost of the house and put their ear there and put an awl and punch a hole out of their ear. And that was an indication they were a love slave. I'm staying here with my master by my own choice. He's loved me. He's cared for me. He's helped my family. I'm staying here because I choose to. Again, it comes back to obedience is an act of gratitude, not servitude. It's because I'm a son or a daughter. Notice there, you've not received the spirit of slavery to fear again. First Timothy, go read this. Chapter one says, not right now, but you can write down. First Timothy four, we've not received the spirit of fear, but of love and a sound mind. What's, what's, the, what's the, 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 the condition of most people if they don't really have a clear view of themselves or a clear view of God? They're afraid of him. God's the boogeyman. He's the one who's going to get you. Paul is saying here, though, you've received the spirit of, of, of a son or a daughter so that you don't have to fear again. I've talked at some length before about this, but this idea of being a son or a daughter. I talked to a guy just the other day. We were discussing this matter because there seems to be in some people's lives, and I think I've experienced this to some extent at different times, that what the Bible wants to tell me is that God wants a family of friends. And God wants a family of children and daughters and sons. But one guy written it like this, that some of us have what they call the orphan spirit. That we don't feel like we belong. No matter what we do. And see, remember, think of it. It's no matter what we what do. See, we're living and dying by what we do. Paul is saying here, you don't have the orphan spirit. You ever sense that? I don't belong. I'm not good enough to belong. Or I, I, don't, I don't deserve to belong. Or this is too good for me. Yeah. My dad, we talk about that in his life. That he, that he never felt like he ever belonged until he found out who he was in Jesus Christ. The orphan spirit. Feeling like you, have, you don't have a place. That everybody else is first before you. Your worth. Your worth. The next one. We're going to go to this next one. Uh, here, uh, look, turn right, go to 1 Corinthians. So I, as you're turning to 1 Corinthians, we're going to go to chapter uh, 6. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. have to look a little bit closer there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, maybe, maybe as you think about this, as you think about your worth who you see yourself to be. Could be uh, that, again, you need to, and I need to, we all do, I think, at different times, to, to, to lean into, do we really see ourselves as sons and daughters or as orphans? 
or slaves. Just people that God wants to get some work out of. When I was a pastor, I, I remember several, several older people. Nobody in here would be in that category. Yeah. Said to me on lots, lots of occasions, Cliff, I don't know why the Lord's let me live so long. Why, why would they think that? They're old. They're in the house. They can't get out. Because I can't do anything anymore. You ever heard people say that? Yeah, why would God let me live this long? I mean, I can't do anything anymore. Well, listen, it's going to all happen for all of us. If our living, if our worth is based on what we can do, we're headed for a train wreck because there will be a day or a time when we can't do what we used to do. If we're not settled into it's who I am, it's my being before doing it's going to be a real problem. I've watched this before in ministers. I, I know I've been around ministers a lot. Not that I wanted to, but I had to be. But uh, I, I've seen lots of ministers that when they retire, they don't know what to do themselves. They're, they're problems in churches. They can be problems in churches because they've been used to being doing, doing, doing. Now it's being, being. So over there in 2 Corinthians 6, are you there? This is an interesting passage. I'm going to begin where it says it just at verse 16, where Paul is writing about Christians and their relationship with others. He said, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Do you see yourself like that? This place called the temple where God dwells. I don't know, but a lot of time in my life, I always thought God was out there. Had to kind of look out there. Okay, God, help me. Come, help me. Come, help me. The scripture says that you and I are the temple or the dwelling place of God. You don't have to look anywhere. You're a follower of Jesus. You've asked. He's in here. Now watch how he, uh, uh, what Paul brings us when he says this. You're the temple of the living God for just as God, this is God saying. Look here. I will dwell in them and walk among them. That sounds like the garden, doesn't it? Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the garden. He, he's saying this, I'm going to dwell in them and I'm going to walk with them or in the, among them. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And don't touch the unclean thing. I'll welcome you and I'll be a father to you and you'll be sons and daughters to me, says Almighty God. I just spent some time yesterday just reading that and meditating. Right, I, I didn't do much preparation on that. I just said, I'm just going to read that for a while. Look at that. That you and I are the place where God dwells. Are you looking for him out here? Are, are you thinking of God as just some kind of outer presence? Or do you think of God when you think of your worth, that you're someone that is valued by God, loved by God, so, so honored by God that he would come and live in you? The great scholar Augustine said some long time ago, look within and find him. Look within. Now, this is not just some new agey kind of idea. This is the idea of created in the image of God. People who follow Jesus, look within and quit looking outside. He's not far from us. He's not far from us. 
Then the third thing, another one. Here we go. I'm just going to work through this real quick. If I, yeah, I'm real quick. <laughs> that was a lie. <clears throat> yeah. Notice here. I will walk among them. I'll dwell among them. I will be their father. Look at all the activity of God here. This isn't you. It's not asking you to. It's not saying you to walk. He said, I will dwell in them. He's the actor. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Verse 18, I'll be a father to them. This is all the activity of God here. I'm going to do this. E. Stanley Jones used to say, you can always tell a person's Christian experience by this. Which word do they use? Do or done? Is it I have to do, 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 do. I got to, you know, I got to be always doing. Or is it done? Because of what Jesus Christ has done through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so this idea of 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 I'm a temple. He dwells among us. Then one final thing. Go, keep going right <laughs> to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3 is a pretty uh, common uh, one, pretty common thought. Here do we see, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works or effort or you doing it so no one can boast. Because we are his work. The work there, the word there, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. This Greek word here, we're his work. The literal translation here is this. It means we're his fabric. You get the idea that God is making some clothes or something, that, that we're his fabric, we're, we're his creation that he makes. Again, it's the activity of God here, the worth of you. You're created in the image of God. You're a son or daughter of God. You're the temple of the living God, and you're his work, his workmanship. Paul is rejoicing here, if you will, by use of this term to suggest again this is who you are, not what you have to do. If you're interested in some of these things, there's a guy that I read some years ago. Maybe you've even read him. Neil Anderson. Neil Anderson. He was a guy who worked for NASA, and then he became a, uh, went to a seminary, and he's written books called Your Identity in Christ. I'm seeing that more and more. I'm seeing that more and more with my students that, that I'm asking them, do you know who you are? In Jesus, Do you know the resources you have? Do you, do you know the status that you hold in that matter? You know, it makes me think, how many, I'm not going to, that's a dumb question. I don't, leave me alone. Here we go. Um, you've noticed, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You've noticed how many times on television the commercials are about 23 and me. Anybody seen that? Yeah. What are they trying to do? Besides take your money. No. <laughs> Tell you who you are, your, your DNA, okay? Here's your family, and here's where they're from. I'm a little afraid still, so I'm kind of holding off yet, right? I'm thinking. Uh, but, but, but the idea of these DNA things like Ancestry.com or, or whatever they do, and I don't know, but, but, but the idea of, of finding out who are you, where are you from? I'll never forget, my dad told us a story. It's supposed to be true. Dad, my grandmother's side of the family is from Hazard County, Kentucky. There's another piece to the puzzle right there. <laughs> yeah, three million people, 
four last names. <laughs> Those are my peeps. But my dad was telling us one time that after doing a little survey and study our family, that on one side of the family, there are the Batches, B-A-C-H, the Batch family. They're, really, I've got an Uncle Marvin that has a big store. I don't recommend going to Hazard County, but, uh, you know. Uh, anyway, found out and did a little study, and Batch, that's how they pronounce in Kentucky, uh, what it is is those people on our side of our family are, de are descendants from a guy that was a musician. His name was Johann Sebastian Batch. <laughs> True story. We're, we're related to Batch. <laughs> or as known, Bach. Right? Related somehow. That's why my dad plays the guitar. I don't know. But, but boy, when we found that out, we thought, hey, we're somebody, you know? At least in Hazard County. But, but people are trying to find this out. Why? Because they're trying to discover who's my family? Where am I from? What's my life from? What's my ancestral history? You know, if you saw the movie years ago, Roots, you know that Haley's premise for many, uh, much of that movie was to know who you are. Know who you are. Know who you are. I, I hear people all the time, students, and talk about themselves. I'm stupid. I'm no good. I can't. I can't, I can't do this. I say, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Who, who are you? Who are you? Are you a creature created in the image of God? Or are, are you someone who's a son or a daughter of God? Are you a place where, the, where God hangs out the temple? He, he dwells in you? Are you somebody that that you're God's workmanship. He's the one who's working. And Paul said in the epistle when he said, I am confident he that began a good work in you will complete it. Look there at Philippians. We keep going right. Go to Philippians over here. Philippians 1. Paul says to these Philippian people, he said, I am confident of this thing, that he who began, you know, again, it's not deep here, but that means you didn't begin it. <laughs> he began it through his prevenient grace to call you to himself. I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. Now that, that word perfect, don't get afraid of it. It's the Greek word talos. It just means to bring it to full bloom. Don't, don't get that word perfect all goofed up your head. It, it means to bring it to full bloom. He will bring it to full bloom until the day of Christ Jesus. That, that, that this is the worth or identity that you have. Now, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm, 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 I'm kicking, I'm way out kicking my coverage on this one, okay? I, I don't, thoughts and opinions as a teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community church, it's elders or leadership. Last week, 
uh, on that panel, I went back on Monday and showed my students the DVD of what we did here on the youth culture issues, which are pretty troubling. And these are our kids. Now, I'm not making any judgment here. I'm just saying I thought with my kids, they're not my, our students. Um, I just said to them, I said, I, I wonder, look, I believe in medicine. I believe in counseling. I've been there. I'm not trying to make some one-size-fits-all stupid statement. But I wonder how many of our young people are discouraged or depressed because they don't know who they are. They really don't know who they are. You know, social media, as we said last week, social media has got people now so depressed because my life's not as good as yours. Or if I say something, somebody just pounces on me and it's just like a bunch of hyenas ravaging me. I wonder, I'm not, again, not, not in every case, place for medicine, for counseling. There are all kinds of issues that, that precipitate a, a depression and difficulty. No question about it. But I wonder if there is a piece here that we've gotten so tied up in what we do that we don't take time to think who I am. And you can't change that. You can't change that you're creating the image of God. You can tear it up. You can mar it. You can mess it up. You can drag it to the dirt. You can't change that, whether you like it or not. I'm amazed. Go, go look at this later. In, in, in Genesis 6, after the flood, you know, I mean, things have been bad, right? And after the flood, the, the writer there tells us that God says, you can't kill anybody after this flood because God created man in his image. Even after the flood, it's reaffirmed. What are human beings? They're created in the image of God. Even after the flood, go read it in Genesis 6. It's a reaffirmation. Even after the destruction of the world and all the terrible things that had happened, human beings are still there. So I wonder if it is, in fact, a piece, not all of it, don't say what I'm not saying, a piece of the puzzle to help young people and old people. Right here. Help old people. Do you know who you are? I've, I've told my students this. I've tried to confide in them it, as we work through this. I said, you know, as a preacher and teacher and, a, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I've, a few years ago, <clears throat> several years ago, for Lent, um, which I'm not a big Lent person. I mean, well, that's, what does that mean? I don't usually participate too much. I, you know, I have a good buddy in Louisiana that gave up watermelon one year. I thought, what a sacrifice, Danny. They're out of season. You can't get He's a knucklehead. He did. He did. He did. But I remember one Lent when I was wrestling with some of this stuff. And I said to Becky, I said, uh, because after, you know, little Christian Grubbs just saw me. She took me in class. She goes, you ready for a day? I said, Christian, you know, I'm never ready. I'm always thinking of other things I should have studied. I'll go home and change this a little bit, come back later, bring it in another. I'm never, I'm never satisfied. But I, I said to Becky, I said, I, this whole idea of my identity, for the entire time of Lent, I'm not going to ask you after I teach, did that make sense? And was that Okay. Because it's feeding 
that sense of I'm what I what do. And for that entire, it's the most meaningful time of Lent I ever went through in my entire life. And I could feel it. It was like bubbling up in me. Esker, Esker, you've got to know. And I said, nope. Nope. And I told her, hold me accountable here, dear. Asking, did that make sense? Was that okay? Do you, do you think people learned anything? What am I doing? I'm trying to establish my identity in what I do. We do that with, we do that with bank accounts. We do that with the kind of job that we have. You know, if you're picking up the garbage, not as important as a guy that, you know, is a doctor. That, that's not a Christian idea. Okay. And, and so, so the idea of is our doing trying to outrun our being. I just want to ask you to consider this. So I, I think I put this on your handout. If I didn't, it's still worth it, probably. The second part I didn't get to. Shock. Here's, we're going to look at this word. We're going to look at, this isn't, you know, phony baloney, good time, rock and roll, happy talk. We're also going to talk about what this tells us about what's wrong. We got to deal with that. And it's, you know, what, what is, what is the issue with human beings that's wrong? What the light shows, I'll tell you this, I'll, we'll come back to this. You know, I promise you this, here, here's what, here, you write this down under wrong. Here it is. Um, it's this. That we are seeking life somewhere other than God. That's what's wrong. I'm not going to give you a list of morality of a do's and don'ts. I'm just going to try to boil it down for us later. That the very nature of human sin is that we're trying to find life in something other than God. That's what makes it so difficult. You're a heat-seeking missile for life. You want life. I want life. We simply are trying to find it in places that can't deliver. In him was life, and he was the light of men, John 1. In him was life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have Life, which must mean you don't, or I wouldn't have to come. So we're going to come deal with that because that's a big, important thing. It's not dancing and drinking and cussing and running with the girls who do. It's trying to find life. That's what you're after. That's what I'm after. Whether it's money or entertainment or things or diversions, whatever it is. So here's what I want you to do on this. I'd just like for you to write down one of these statements. Is it creating the image of God, son and daughter of God, a temple of God, of those, which is it, or God's workmanship? Which one is it? Write it down, carry it on a piece of paper, and carry it with you. I asked Becky this. I asked you to do something similar. This is a little different. I asked you last week to get a picture of yourself. I've got it on my phone. I looked at it every day. And I said this, here is a person created in the image of God. I said that about me. I, I hope you did that. If you didn't, you can do that this week again. Get a picture on your phone of yourself and say every day, this is a person who is created 
in the image of God. Say it out loud. Make your ears hear it. Or, and also, write down one of these statements about your worth and carry it in your pocket with you or put it in your purse or get it with you and look at it every day and say, you know what? The light has come. Quit living in the darkness of this culture. Quit living in the darkness of your imagination. Quit living in the darkness of the echo that you've heard all your life and begin to look in the light, we've been delivered from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. So look at it. Let's pray. We need your help, Jesus. There's not a thing in this world that tries to tell us this. Only in the kingdom of light. Because you came to deliver us from the dominion of darkness, from, from ignorance, from superstition, from echoes of our past. You came to deliver us into the kingdom of light. Now we see you more clearly. Now we see ourselves more clearly. Would you help us? To not allow the darkness of this world or the echo of our past. are our own superstitious thoughts to take place, but allow your light to shine in our lives. In Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen.